I'm so glad to be at Oak Ridge today. There's only a few of us here in the sanctuary, but I'm, I'm glad to be with them. We've been friends for a long time. I was reflecting on the fact that it's almost 30 years that Marguerite and I have been involved with Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in some way. And, it, and it's been an incredibly faithful relationship. We feel your love. We feel that we're part of your family. We've been in it together. I want to stress that word together for a little while this morning because during this time of COVID, the question is, you know, how do we live without social contact? There's something about not being together that just feels very abnormal. The other day, Marguerite and I were driving somewhere, and we decided on the way home we'd get a coffee. And so we, uh, we, we pulled up to the first Tim's, and there were about 40 cars in line. I said, well, it's obviously not Tim's. And then we, we hit the McDonald's, and there were about another 40 cars in line. And we tried the next Tim's, and I'm saying, like, I think people need to be out right? People want to be together. And I'm mindful of the fact that that's the way God built us. Because when you read the Genesis account in creation, what's God say? It's not good for man to be alone. See, he's not just talking about sexual issues. He's not just talking about Christian marriage. He's talking about social contact. We need other people. That's important. We need other people because we're not complete in ourselves. Now, here's the interesting thing about this text, and I don't want to preach about Christian marriage today, and I don't want to preach about Christian sexuality today, though God knows both of those themes need to be addressed in our society, and I don't even want to speak about the creation account today, maybe next time. Everybody's already thinking, where in the Old Testament is he going today? I'm going to fool you. I'm going to the New Testament today, ultimately. But first, we have to get through the Old Testament. I, I want to talk about the creation account today, though I think that there is no text in the Scripture more important in our time than the issue of creation. We live in a world of individuals who believe that they are self-made, self-made men, self-made women, and they are living in delusion. I'd like to bring some reality therapy to them today. And the reality therapy I would bring to them is found over in the book of Daniel. See, I'd like to bring in a witness of somebody who thought, you know what? I am the be-all. I am the end-all of anything that was ever created. I am the greatest. It was kind of like the Ali version in the Babylonian Empire. You remember Nebuchadnezzar who thinks that he is a self-made man and believes that the city of Babylon is the work of his hands is going to learn that there is a God out there who's in total control. After his little meeting with God, this is what he says. His dominion, I'm reading from Daniel chapter 4. 
His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of the heavens and with the peoples of the earth, and no one can hold back his hand or say unto him, what are you doing? So much for being the captain of your fate and the pilot of your soul. So much for self-made men and self-made women. But I want to go back to something I was talking about just a few moments ago, this whole idea of being together. When I think of Oak Ridge and I think of Marguerite and myself, I, I think we've, we've been together. We've been together here in the church. We have been together uh, in Kazakhstan. We've been together in Russia. We've been together in Poland. We have been together in Egypt. We have been together in Romania. We've been together a lot of places. We have this incredible relationship of being together. And, and I want to say this morning to Oak Ridge, thanks for that. Much of what Marguerite and I have been able to experience is a result of you being involved in our lives. And we're so thankful for that. I thought about this being together and the journey that you and I have taken as a church and immediately turned my mind, as soon as I heard the word journey, I began thinking about the Exodus. It's the second most important story in the Old Testament. I say second most important because creation is the first most important story. Without creation, none of the other stories happen. With creation, the other stories happen. And if you know the story of the Exodus, and I'm not talking about the TV version, I'm talking about the biblical version, the story of the Exodus begins with a promise. In fact, it begins with a, a very often stated promise. God makes a promise to Abraham three times, four times actually, the same promise to Abraham. And then he makes a pro the same promise to Abraham's son Isaac. And then he makes the same promise to Jacob, Abraham's grandson. I am going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all people through you. I am going to give you a land. It is an incredible promise. And what we have is that Israel is now God's chosen people, and they are on their way theoretically to God's promised land. There's just one problem. The problem is this, we find the children of Israel in Egypt. We find them in slavery. We find them in misery. God had chosen them to reflect his glory to the world. God had chosen them to show how a godly-run government would operate. Would to God this morning that somebody in the Middle East would read the Scripture and try to realize 
what it is that God actually wanted to do there. See, God wanted a kingdom in which everybody was blessed, in which everybody was taken care of, in which everybody, as Steve just mentioned, was loved, loved your neighbor as yourself. That's what God was looking for. And God was looking for Israel to, in fact, live out that model. So because other nations would be so impressed, they would be so, if you will, attracted to that, that we would see a world of peace and love and justice and mercy. But what we find is Israel in Egypt in slavery. God remembers his promise. And now the story of the Exodus begins because the story of Exodus is, is it rescuing God, rescuing his people and taking them from a place of slavery to a place of freedom, taking them from a place of darkness to a place of light, taking them from a place of misery to a place of blessing. That's what God wants for them. That's what the Exodus is all about. I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. It's going to be a great place. God does that. God comes down. God rescues his people. He leads them through the Red Sea. He leads them through the wilderness. He waters them. He feeds them. He clothes them. He protects them. He is there for them every possible way that you can imagine. It's an incredible story. It's a historical story. This story is so huge that out of the five books that Moses writes in the Old Testament, two and a half of those books are dedicated to Exodus stuff. It's big. It is very, very big. But what I want you to understand today is it's not just an Old Testament story. It's a New Testament story as well. You say, how do you draw that conclusion? Well, if you have your Bible handy today, and that's a good thing because um, not only did the church have problems with electricity this morning, but I had a problem with my brain this morning. Usually I bring a backup uh, of my PowerPoint. I didn't bring the backup today, and the original didn't revive, so we're on our own without slides behind me. I'm sorry for that. So take your Bible, which is a better idea anyhow. Turn to Luke chapter 9, and in Luke chapter 9 is a very fascinating chapter in the New Testament. It is a chapter in which the disciples are contrasted with Jesus. The disciples are in deep trouble. They need a lot of help. They don't think like Jesus at all. If you can read the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke and conclude that, that the disciples really understand what Jesus is about, you're a good person. You can't do that. But in the middle of that chapter, something happens. You, you remember that Peter 
and James and John accompany Jesus, and they are taken up to what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the mountain on which Jesus is going to be just, his image is going to be changed. They are going to see him in his glory. He's radiant. It doesn't get any better than what they're going to see about Jesus. But Jesus is with two individuals. He is with Elijah, and he is with Moses. And as he is with Elijah and Moses, they are deep in discussion. The English version says that they are discussing the departure of Jesus. That is anemic on a good day. It's just not powerful enough. Luke uses this words, they were discussing Jesus' exodus. That's a big word. They were discussing Jesus' exodus. Jesus is on a journey. And if you just kind of trail down in Luke chapter 9 and you come to verse 51, what you find is that Luke now says, Jesus resolutely sets his face toward Jerusalem. He's on a journey. He is on a mission. He is going to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he is going to go to the cross. He is going to die for his people. He is going to rescue his people, redeem his people, and he is going to lead those people to the promised land. That's Exodus, right? That's an Exodus picture in the New Testament. Here at Oak Ridge for the past several months, you've been studying the book of Matthew together. And, and Pastor Josiah has been going through verse by verse, text by text on, on this book. And that's one way to study the book of Matthew. And it's a good way to do it. But there are other ways to study the gospel of, of Matthew as well. You could do thematic studies because, well, think of it this way. If you really want to learn about the kingdom of heaven, what gospel would you go to? Matthew mentions it at least 32 times. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is a really important theme. There's something else, however, that Matthew does to give you the idea that maybe he has the exodus in his mind a little as well. Here's what he does. He shows you Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is the new Moses. He's tested in a new wilderness. He brings his law, his new law, to a new mount. Are you getting the picture? We got a, a new Moses, okay, who's leading his people actually to a, a new place. It's the Exodus pattern. It's a New Testament story. Take your Bible and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. See, it's, it's a Pauline story as well. I need to read this text for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read about 11 verses here. Paul says, Now I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in a cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied him, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was in pleased.
most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. It sounds like the Exodus, right? Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by destroying angels. Paul says, listen, in your spiritual life, remember the Exodus. When people moved away from God, people suffered calamity in their lives. It's a New Testament story. Getting the point? And I'm not done yet. See, because now you go to the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapters 2 through 4, it's almost the same message that Paul gives over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You remember these words? Harden not your hearts as in the days of provocation. That's wilderness. Today, today, if you will hear his voice, today, enter into that rest. Exodus, 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 Exodus. And what I want to suggest to you today is that it's not just a New Testament story. It's the believer's story. It's the believer's story. It's your story. It's my story. It's the day when you were blind, dead in trespasses and sins, as Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, dead in your trespasses and sins, and something happened. The redemptive work of Christ took place in your life, and the journey began. The exodus began. Today I want to take you to First Peter. When preachers go to First Peter, they usually go there to talk about suffering. <laughs> Peter is so funny. He actually didn't understand suffering. Remember, he's always trying to protect Jesus. He wants to make sure that Jesus, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. When I get to Jerusalem, guess what's going to happen? They're going to kill me. They're going to beat me. They're going to flog me. They're going to kill me. And, and Peter says, why? You're not going to Jerusalem. That's not going to happen to you. That can't happen to you. I mean, after all, you're the Christ. That can't happen to you. See, Peter didn't understand a principle at that point that he understands very well later in his life. First, the suffering. Then, the glory. So if you're reading 1 Peter, and you start at chapter 2 and verse 11 and continue all the way over to the end of chapter 4, what you find out is that Peter is speaking to the people with him about the suffering that they are going to experience. And they are experiencing suffering. Peter himself is going to experience. We know that Peter is going to be crucified for Christ, for his faith. People are in the midst of deep, deep suffering. Here's the interesting thing. That's the second main point that Peter wants to make. The question is, what's the first main point that Peter wants to make? What's the context for this suffering? 
And the context for the suffering is the believer's exodus. They are on a journey. Just as you are on a journey, just as I am on a journey, and an exodus is taking place. Let me point out something to you if I can. And you'll need your Bible handy to see this. If you take your Bible and you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we continue over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, you'll see some very, very interesting things. Now think of this. In this short space of Scripture, Peter is going to refer to the Exodus no less than six times. Isn't that amazing? This is a very short passage of Scripture here. Six references to, if you will, the Old Testament Exodus. And he wants to speak about the believer and his journey. So what's the first one? He doesn't get any further than the first verse when he says, you, you're what? He says, now, to God's elect strangers in the world, okay? We're strangers in this world. He's going to talk later about us being aliens in this world. We are travelers through this world. We are on a journey through this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Travelers, earth is not our final place. It is not our home. Being with God, in God's presence, that is our place. That is our home. He says a second thing about the Exodus. He says in, in Exodus, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, now, that's a strange, it doesn't say that in the English there, but it should, because he's trying to remind you of Exodus chapter 12. You see, when the children of Israel ate the Passover, they were to eat the Passover in such a way that their robes were to be girt up around their waist so that they could make the speediest escape possible out of Egypt. Don't waste any time. You're ready to go. That's the second reference to, to the Exodus. Then he talks about, in, the, in 1 Peter uh, 1 and 16, uh, be ye holy as I am holy. This is the mandate for the children of Israel. This is who they are to serve and how they are to serve. It's taken from Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44. And 45. He describes Jesus in chapter 1 and verse 19 as a lamb without blemish, as, a, as if you will, a lamb who's perfect in every way. Once again, a reference to Exodus chapter 12. Then he talks about the living stone. There is a living stone, and we as living stones will be planted on the living stone. But that living stone comes to him from a couple of places. One, Isaiah 18, but also from the children of Israel's experience where there's water from the rock. And as we've already noticed in 1 Corinthians 10, that rock is Christ. Okay. Then he goes on and continues with, with this, and he says something about, in chapter 2 and verse 4 and following, but you are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. You say, where do you get that idea of priesthood from? 
He got it from Exodus 19. Just before the law is going to be given to Israel, God invites Israel in chapter 19 and verse 6 of, of Exodus to become a kingdom of priests. See, the Exodus is on his mind. He's thinking Exodus, Exodus, Exodus. You, you ever have one of those moments when things just get in your mind and they kind of taint how you think about other things? Of course you have. And that's exactly what's happening to Peter. His mind is just full of all of these Exodus ideas. And now as he begins thinking about the Exodus, he does something else that's very Jewish. He uses a verbal repetition. You've heard me speak about verbal repetitions lots of times, but they're important. Jesus used them a lot. The kingdom of heaven is like, right? You've heard it said, but I say unto you, right? They have their reward. They have their reward. Yeah, they, they make things stick, but Jesus isn't the only person who uses those things. Think of the book of Judges. Again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, or at that time, there was no king, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Or think about Isaiah, the Holy One of Israel, 26 times. Or think about Ezekiel, the Son of Man, everywhere. Okay? Peter chooses a little verbal repetition. It, it's, it's so little that if you're not paying attention, you'll just blow right by it and not see it. Because it's a strange word to use in the way he uses it, and the word is living. In these two, in these, this chapter and a half, he uses the word three times. One, there is a, a living hope. Chapter one and verse three. And then there is the living word, chapter 1 and verse 23. And then there is a living rock, chapter 2 and verse 4. And now what we want to see is how Peter uses these things to show us about the Exodus. Here's the interesting thing about the believer's Exodus. It's always good to know where you're going, right? I mean, say, I'm going to go on a trip. What's the first question somebody's going to ask you? Where are you going? And if you say, I'm not really sure, and I say, okay, have a good time, but, you know, doesn't sound like the kind of thing I, I'd like to go with you. Peter, in this text, starts with the living hope. Now, think of it this way. The living hope is like setting your GPS, right? It's like choosing your destination. You're punching in the destination, and the, and the destination is the hope. A lot of people don't like the word hope. They think it's anemic or weak or, or something. But for Peter, it's strong as we're going to see. It is a living hope, and it is a living hope because it is founded on a living Christ. We have a living hope because the one who said, destroy this temple and in three days I'm going to rebuild it, did exactly that. The one who said, you can kill me, but you can't get rid of me. I mean, that's kind of what he was saying, right? 
did exactly what he said he was going to do. He's alive. He's seated at the right hand of God. We have a living hope. Christ is the hope that we're going to be like Christ and we're going to be with Christ is our hope. And that's exactly what has happened. A living hope. Peter doesn't talk about, you know, John talks about this great, beautiful city. Pearly gates, golden streets, tree-lined boulevards with the tree of life. Uh, no more sickness, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more death, no more night, no more. And you say, wow, that's great. Peter doesn't talk about any of that. He is in the middle of a conflict. There is suffering everywhere around him. He wants to know one thing. He's asking the question you would ask. He's asking the question I would ask. Are you sure? Are you sure? He says, listen, this hope is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It is reserved in heaven for you. It is a certainty. It is a surety. It is guaranteed. This hope is going to happen. And, and if that doesn't satisfy you, he says another thing about the living hope. It's not just reserved for you. God's reserved it by his power. But he has also kept you. He keeps the hope, he keeps the treasure, he keeps you. It's a living hope. And that, my friends, is our destination. In this world, if you keep your eyes on this world, you live in confusion. Who knows what's going on? When you put your eyes on that hope, there is nothing more fixed more certain than that hope. Because what God has said, God will perform. He's not the son of man that he should lie or change his mind. Now, Peter says a second thing. He spoke about the end of our exodus. So think of the exodus this way. Where are we going? We're heading for Jesus. We're going to be with him. We're going to be like him. Guaranteed it's going to happen. And now he talks about another thing. He talks about the living word. What do we mean by the living word? What do we mean by this living word? Well, Jesus is a word, of course, right? It's the living and enduring word of God. I think about that text. I think about our world. Everybody kind of poo-pooing the scriptures and say, you believe in the Bible. Oh, by the way, do you know what? Since COVID happened, more people than ever have read the Bible. You see that little thing in Google the other day, Google News? More people last year turned to the Bible than ever before. You don't hear that much in the news. But it's a good thing to hear. All sorts of people saying, you know what? That Christian stuff, that Jesus stuff, it's kind of for babies. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Contradictions everywhere. You hear this stuff all the time. 
doesn't bother Peter. Peter quotes Isaiah, all flesh is grass. All flesh is grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. And what he's essentially saying is something like this. I don't care what your scientists say. I don't care what your sociologists say. I don't care what your psychologists say. I don't care what any of your social scientists say. I don't care what your philosophers say. Here's the thing. The word is the living and enduring word of God. The word of the world is fluff. It fades. It turns away. And now, what is this living and enduring word that Peter might have on his mind? All you have to do is take a quick trip to the book of Acts and listen to him in chapter 4 say this. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. No other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. This is the living, enduring word. Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's the foundational word. Think of it in the book of Acts again. That word is this. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is the divine son of God. Jesus is crucified for sin. Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is coming again. That's the truth. And that's the beginning point. And when you come to the place where God speaks to you as an individual and he says, this is the way, walk in it. This is the path, get on it. This is the straight gate and the narrow way. It is the only way. And you follow. That's where the journey begins. That's where the exodus begins. When you accept that Jesus is the truth, and that the truth is Jesus, that Jesus is the one to follow, and Jesus is the one who's the entry gate to take you to that guaranteed hope. That's where the journey begins. But how do we live? See, how do we live? And that's the third living thing. He speaks about, if you will, the whole matter of being of the living stone. The living stone. He said, now there's something to note about this living stone. We're over in chapter 2 and verse 4 now. The whole thing about this living stone is this. The builders rejected it. Nobody wanted this stone. This stone was considered garbage. This stone was considered refuse. This stone was considered extraneous to anything that's important. God says, that's my chosen stone. And you and I, says Peter, you and I are living stones that are built upon that living stone. Kind of gives you the thought of being an altar, doesn't it? And they kind of give you that kind of picture. I mean, that's what they did with stones in the Old Testament often, right? 
They build altars. Uh, it, it, it reminds you of, you know, a temple or something like that. He's building something really important. And he says, you as living stones, read the, read the text over here with me, if you will. First Peter chapter 2, and I want to read verse 4 uh, and following. He says this, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For scripture says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so here's what our exodus looks like. We have a destination. It's a living hope. It's Christ himself. To be in his presence, to be with him, and to be like him. But for that destination to be a possibility, for that destination to have any hope of actuality, there's a beginning. And the beginning is when the living word comes into your life and convicts you the fact that this Jesus is exactly who he says he is and has done exactly what he said he has done. He came into the world. The world didn't know him. But to as many as did know, he gave power to become children of God to those who believe on his name. He's the starting point. And once you have started, your life is now the life of a priest offering sacrifices every day, building on that rock, which is Christ. You're on an exodus. I'm on an exodus. You're on a journey. I'm on a journey. It begins with salvation. It ends in glory. It starts, if you will, in slavery. It ends in freedom. It starts in darkness. It ends in light. It starts in error. It ends in truth. That's our journey. That's what Peter wants you to understand. Along the way, there would be people, they rejected the stone. You think they're not going to reject you? You think you're not going to have difficulty? You think you're not going to have suffering? All of that 
is going to work to you becoming more and more and more like Jesus. So how are you doing on your exodus? How's the journey going? It's easy to talk about it theologically. It's a great theological idea. I'm on my exodus. The question is not whether you're on an exodus or on a journey. The question is, how are you doing on the journey? And here's the way. If you say, hmm, maybe not so good, here's the way you can fix that. You need to get in your mind today what Peter says in this second chapter. You are chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. And you are to make sacrifices every day. Your life is to be sacrificed. Your life is to be given over to Christ. And the question isn't about what you would do. The question is about what God wants you to do. As he takes you from Egypt to the promised land. That's the only question that's important. The devil does everything he can to confuse us on this issue. So many temptations, so much chaos, so much bickering, so much hatred in our world, so much diversion. And we as Christians sometimes get caught up in all of that when in fact all we need to do is stay the course. That's all we need to do. Stay the course. Offer your life every day as a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Speak, Lord. I love that little story about Samuel, don't you? Speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. I want to challenge you to do that as we finish up today. To determine in your mind that every day, as you're on your journey with Jesus, that you will seek to hear God's voice and you will intend to follow his instruction. And if you're listening or watching today and you have never come to Christ, I remind you of the fact that the entry point to this whole thing, the entry point to getting to the land of blessing, to getting to that guaranteed hope of being like Christ and being with Christ comes by accepting what the Bible says about Jesus as being true. To put your faith in Christ to ask forgiveness for you stealing your life from him. Your life belongs to him. He made you. He owns you. You're his, whether you like it or not. Give yourself to him. You can do that easily today and start the journey. I want to pray that we'll be able to do that I just want to make sure that we leave here with a blessing today. And that blessing is this. 
we have an inheritance, right? We have an inheritance. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It is reserved in heaven for you. No matter what you're going through in your life right now, God is no man's debtor. He will bring you safely to the end and fulfill every promise that he has ever, ever made to you. So what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have great and precious promises. So I'm going to pray today as we close that your heart and mind will be open to those great and precious promises and that you will claim those promises and that your journey will become a journey of blessing rather than a journey of frustration. Mm -hmm.